All right. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Touchdown Zone. Uh, this is a podcast hosted by me and Sid, and today we have a very special guest in Tactical Hammer, one of the famous or infamous users uh, on the EFL. He's a member of the board of directors, and I believe is the EFL commissioner, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, welcome to the show. Ah, merci beaucoup, mes amis. Uh, je suis très contente. Uh... Uh, uh, être ici maintenant avec, uh, avec vous. Um, bienvenue à la podcast et uh, je suis uh, content pour les uh, pour uh, nous commençons. Very interesting. I understood all of that. It was a very heartfelt speech. <laughs> I have tears right now. All right, that was my one gag. Um, thanks, guys. Great to be here. Right, hopefully, then. hopefully Mick Wolf will enjoy my terrible French if no one else. <laughs> okay, let's see. What what do we have up first? We got from Sharks. This viewers Karen most about Sharks questions. We'll start off with them. See, how do you qualify the change from the NCAA to the ETFA? Were there two big changes? There were two big changes, like rebrands and expansion. Do you think the league was benefited from it? Do you believe that something from the NCAA could have translated better to the ECFA or that we lost in the change? So this, uh, I think this came up a lot and, and you guys feel free to jump in if you have thoughts on this. I, I personally was quite reluctant for this change um, because we had developed a really strong brand down in Texas with kind of the Longhorns and that tradition, um, as well as sort of the rivalries that had grown with Oregon and USC. Uh, that being said, Honestly, the logic for it was pretty difficult to criticize. Um, I will never blame Turner for not wanting to have, you know, any kind of even the one percent chance of legal exposure to the NCAA for what is really a online uh, sports LARPing league. Um, so I do think that the change had to happen. Um, in terms of whether we lost something, I definitely think the the feeling of sort of it being a college system. Um, even though it is still the college football league, I think has been diluted a little bit just because they're not uh, real brands that people know. Um, from a practical perspective, it doesn't really matter so much, but I know there are quite a few users who, uh, in their career point tasks and sort of the other narratives they built for their players, uh, really leaned into sort of that college environment. Um, I'd look at uh, Tate's early uh, career point, point tasks for uh, Kip Silver and East and West, his players, as a great example of what you can kind of build um, from that college narrative. Um, and so moving from brands like, you know, the Oregon Ducks and USC Trojans and Notre Dame uh, fighting, or sorry, you're American, so Notre Dame fighting Irish um, to essentially made-up teams, definitely, I, I, I do think something was lost there, but I think it uh, it had to happen. And there's also been, you know, some really great opportunities to build some really cool brands uh, coming out of that that are entirely our own. Um, and the logos we got, I think, are, are, are kick-ass, and I'm really happy with those. So I, I think it was for the best, but there definitely was was a downside for sure. Yeah, I can yeah. agree with you about the college like environment. Like, I know, like some people were disappointed. Now, when people pitch them, like only some teams actually pitch it as like a college. Most teams just pitch as like a minor league team, or like so it's not like a real college. And just like the name, like. Right, like people like recognize Texas and like LSU or whatever, and like that we lost that. 
Yeah, especially with uh, it's with it. I personally liked the college branding before, but like Tax said, I completely understand why the change had to be made. I uh, do think that a little bit more could go into making sure that it still felt like a college system. I mean, technically it still is, but it uh, definitely feels like a uh, like a, a D league for the EF. L, which is not a bad way to look at it, but it does lose a little bit of that college vibe, I guess. And especially with some of the weird teams that we have. I'm not saying that they're <laughs> like bad, but like it's kind of hard to get behind like a uh, like a team like like the Roswell Encounter that's like so far out there. No pun intended, but it is. <laughs> Not saying that that team branding is bad in any way. It's just kind of hard to get into the college mood when you have a team in Alaska playing a team from like New Mexico. At the same time, it is a new location that not many place or not many in real world sports happen. So it, it it's not all bad, but I do know that some people do emphasize the college uh system and the way that they pitch. I'm one of those people. I think Shark and I think UTech have kind of tried to keep that. Color. Yeah, like I still call it a school and, and refer to like school records and try to still keep that verbiage in it, but it really is up to the individual ADs in terms of how they want to emphasize or not emphasize um, that aspect of it. And, I, and I'm happy to kind of leave it up to their personal preference on that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But overall, I do like college feel. Oh, better than like the D League feel, like you see in the NBA. Nothing against ESPN though, but I do like college feels better. For sure, and it, it's a very, it's a very like college football is a major, major cultural yeah. phenomenon in a way that, like, I know college basketball exists, but it's not quite as uh, yeah, the college not... experience is really built around football in the U.S. at least. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Are you next up? I'll paraphrase it because it's another long question. What's your <laughs> What's your message to the ECFA players that want to stay in the boiling cauldron that is the ECFA? So basically, the people that retire before the draft. Yeah. So, so this is another question from Shark, and and he's talking about how we've seen an increase in the past seasons because of really enthusiastic ECFA players that take uh, their passion onto the pros. I think to a degree, you're always going to have a little bit more hype in the college league simply because a lot of users if they don't become um kind of what i call core users they tend to be the most excited and most enthusiastic and most engaged right after they join the site because it's something new it's something exciting and then as they get more used to it they will stay involved but they might you know their excitement might taper off a little bit just naturally and that timing just happens to coincide with them transitioning from the ecfa to the pros um, so I don't think it's necessarily a structural issue. I think it's just sort of human nature that you spend more time somewhere and you get less, um, the novelty wears off. Uh, that being said, what I would say to sort of to EFCA players that want to stay in the EFCA, ECFA is the ECFA is great. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, the locker rooms are great. I think what the EFL has that the ECFA really doesn't is a couple things. Um, one is you really get the opportunity to to build a legacy with your player um, in a way that the three to four year college experience just does not allow. Um, like you talk about um, the most well known players kind of in league history, and they're pretty much all known um, with very narrow exceptions for what they did in the pros. 
Um, my own running back is an example of that uh, tugboat was a, he was a fine player um, in college. He won, I think one award. Um, but in the EFL, you know, he won two MVPs, five running back awards, hall of famer. Like that was where he really made himself a household name. Um, and compared to him, have either of you guys ever heard of Quindarius Verge? Uh, yeah so he was he has the school records for i've heard of it i just don't know who that is yeah so this is kind of my point he has uh league records back in the ncaa for the two two of the three best rushing seasons of all time he has two heisman awards um but his user went inactive when he went to the efl he never did anything there and you know 10 15 seasons later no one's ever heard of him um so i think that's a great example in terms of if you really want a player that will become memorable, he has to go to the pros. Um, and the other primary reason that I think there's uh, a big um, perk going to the pros versus college is there's a lot more build diversity. Um, when you're in college, you have, you know, for your first X number of seasons, you're, using, you're spending a maximum of 199 TP. And there's only so much you can do with that build-wise. Um, once you get to the pros, you can start capping out your speed or whatever your primary attribute is and start building some other attributes. And I think that's where um, you really get to see a lot more diversity in strategies, a lot more diversity in players um, and a lot more diversity just overall. And so I think that's a, that's a big perk that I don't think college players really understand until they get to the pros and they're like, Oh, I've, you know, I've hit 90 speed. I can actually start investing in agility or intelligence now. Um, so that'd be my, my one minute or two minute answer uh, to that question. Yeah, just in general, like you can keep creating in the ECFA. Like they have, in general, I would say the ECFA locker rooms and are like more active and you get players every season, new users. But once you go up to the EFL, you actually like have a player. Like it, you can develop it out and do whatever you want with it. And you can't get that from the ECFA. Well, one reason why the ECFA locker rooms are more active for the most part is because that's one of the job, or that's what you're supposed to do as an AD. You're supposed to get locker rooms active. And while you do want to do that as a GM, it's not necessarily a priority for you. Whereas like, if you're a GM, you're not really worried about a player dropping out on you to the level that a, a AD is. So it's one reason why ECFA locker tend to be more active, at, at least in my opinion. But yeah, college, especially uh, for your first couple of seasons, all you're upgrading is speed. So you really don't get to see any of the other builds you can do until you like start getting to about 400, 500 TV, and that by that point, you're already in the EFL. Yeah, exactly. And, I th and that's a good point, too, actually, in terms of uh, GMs can afford to be a little bit stressed, a little bit less uh, stressed about retention, because once a player's stuck around for an entire, co entire college career and is uncapped and has gotten drafted, um, I think they're a lot more likely to stick around long term. So it's not quite as stressful as it is for ADs when, you know, I think e even for me, like, I'd say 25% of the recruits that I get end up going inactive within a season. Um, and I think that's probably fairly similar for most ADs. So you do have that extra sort of got to keep this fun, got to keep it active, got to keep guys engaged um, to yeah. a different degree.
yeah, just in general from like the switch from AD to GM. And from AD, whenever there's a TP opportunity, I would add all the players and make sure they did it. But for GMs, I like don't want to add them too because I know they know how stuff works. I don't want to like annoy them. Yeah, there's a lot less hand-holding you have to do for sure. All right, let's see what's next. We recently had a new recap. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, so I'll be honest on this. This is not my uh, my area of expertise by any stretch. Um, because I've never been you the one. And you weren't you the one that made this? No, this was uh, this was really um, Shark's brainchild, as well as a lot of the other BOD members chipped in. Um, a lot of the discussions for uh, for this system in particular happened while I was on vacation out west, and so I wasn't super involved in them. Um, by and large, I think it's been a good change. Um, I think. Anything that incentivizes players less to just take the minimum every time just adds a little more dynamism, um, a little more interest to the league. Um, in terms of when we'll start to see the impact, I think we're starting to see it a little bit, um, but I do think it's one of those changes that the impact will really play out over the next five, six, seven seasons before we really get a sense a sense of where it's going. But I, I do think it was... I think it's a well-designed system. I have a lot of faith in the folks that... Uh, uh, put their heads into it, heads into it, including Shark. And um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to see how how GMs continue to adjust. Um, I am very sad in terms of what happened to Memphis with the uh, salary gap adjustment, but you know the the greater good has to has to come first. Sorry, Sid. I think you kind of cut out there. I can't really hear you. Can you hear him, Lefty? Is an issue on my end? Uh, I can't hear him either. I think is, is your mic ob obstructed, maybe, Sid, or you put it further away from your face or something? Because we can only kind of hear a bit of a. Can you hear me now? Oh yeah, that's better. Okay. Yeah, I was just saying that if the salary cap adjustment came earlier for like the seven point five million more we got. Then mm -hmm. Memphis would probably still have Allison and probably would have repeated. Yep. Hurt them too much. Thanks for reminding me of that. Uh... Yeah. I mean, just in general, like my thoughts, I'm I'm not gonna complain if we have more cap. And there was like like at least four free agents this year, and I each offered them like. Six million, seven million, because I just knew I had the cap, and mm -hmm. people actually wanted money this time. Yeah, which I think is a good thing. It'll make free agency more interesting as well, because um, you definitely started to see fewer and fewer players even going to free agency in the last several seasons. Yeah. Okay, Lefty, do you have any thoughts on it? Uh, not much other than what you've already said about if it makes free agency more interesting. I'm for it because for the most part it's just do you want to go to this team like everyone because you normally what happened in the past is everyone just took the minimum and this changes that so i like it okay let's see okay do you believe that having several super experienced ad's like wally stacks for yourself 
and development league where by nature teams need a lot of recruits to perform could unintentionally hurt the league more than it helps. Speaking of, for example, new ADs having trouble to match some of the pitches or being virtually unable to compete with your strat mastery. Uh, so I probably thought more about this question uh, coming into to the podcast, probably more than all the other ones combined, to be honest. Um, I think it's definitely a point well worth considering. The reason I don't think it hurts the league um, is, is manifold. Um, first, I think there's definitely something to be said for having a few different veterans, whether, and I'm not saying it has to be myself or Wally or, or Stax, or I like how Shark left himself out of that question. Um, but having a couple people that can sort of show different ways that the job can be done. Um, like I'd say, just using Stax as an example, I'd say Stax and myself have relatively different um, ADN styles. I think both are very effective. And I think having just having sort of that around kind of gives the newer ADs a clue of, you know, this might be um, something I want to borrow, or this is a tactic I want to adopt, or, you know, this is how I can kind of get my guys engaged. Um, I, from a selfish perspective, the reason that I haven't moved on to GM um, after going on, I think this is my 15th season as AD, is, uh, and I have thought about it, um, basically where I'm at in terms of my my real my real life um, what I have going on otherwise and my simly participation is what I do right now in terms of being the AD in Death Valley and my uh, my bod work, that pretty much caps out, I think, the amount of time I can spend on the league without burning out. Um, and just speaking solely for myself, I know that if I was to move on to GMing, I would either have to really significantly pull back everything else I did on the site, um, or I would, I would probably burn out within six months. Um, and that's not something I really want to do. Uh, and so for that reason, that's kind of why I've stuck around um, as an AD. That and that, and also I do feel like there is um, there is value in having some continuity, especially it's less important now, but back in sort of the mid, I want to say seasons like 11 to 18, when there was just massive AD turnover. Um, I think at one point after me, the second longest serving AD was like three seasons. Um, and especially in that environment, I, I felt like it was super important to have at least one team that was sort of a, steady as she goes kind of operation um just well, right now ad turning in sight because right now i'm the fourth longest serving ad at this point in time yeah exactly um and i think the the, the challenges are different another reason i think it's important to have um have veterans is we're the first for a lot for most recruits at least we're the first points of contact and so Yes, you could argue it's it's unfair to to newer ads that their pitch quality might not be as good. My counterargument to that would be, do we want new recruits coming in and getting a bunch of crappy pitches? Um, so I think having a few ads that you know are giving strong, compelling pitches to recruits and are then forcing the other ads to up their game is healthier for the league in general um, than not having those you know reliable like you know this player is going to get a couple really high quality pitches. Uh, that being said, I'm definitely open to the idea that um, you don't want too much stagnation and you don't want to uh, continually beat up on teams when they're down. Um, but I think one thing that's really helped that is the more generous playoff structure. 
now that we have four teams out of six in each conference making the playoffs instead of two out of four, it means that teams that might not might have a newer AD or might not be as strong have a lot better opportunity to at least make the playoffs. Um, and once they make the playoffs, you know, upsets, as we've seen countless times, upsets happen all the time. Um, like you look at a team like Lincoln, for example, um, if only three teams or two teams made the playoffs, and even though they're having a pretty good season, they would be screwed. Um, but the fact that four teams make it gives them that opportunity to at least get in. And then, you know, I wouldn't, I would probably give them at least 30 to 40% odds to beat whoever they end up playing. And from there, you don't know. Uh, so that's, I guess, a long-winded way of saying that I think Shark's point is extremely valid and worth keeping in mind. Um, but I don't necessarily agree with it, um, both for selfish reasons and, and for, for the other reasons I outlined above. So this is what my thing is. I feel like why I feel like it's probably since it is a development league when you're like grooming players, you should give more people chances to be ADs. But then on the other hand, we don't really have that many good AD prospects. Like I can think of maybe like one or two people that actually like have applied and haven't gotten a job yet. And if you don't have that many people and like when you see the growlers, they've had a new AD every single season. Yeah. It's like you can't really you need to have like some staple eighties uh, there, but like I, I know if you've been in the Discord, then you know about the whole like big debate about how and, like legally help like Savage City or and like and like Manchester or whatever for like helping them like figure stuff out. Oh yeah. Like, I, I don't see what's wrong with that, considering, like, the new 80s pitches obviously are not as good, like you've mentioned. So if you're just, like, I'm just trying to make sure that they're, like, become decent, like, they get better. They're all good, but just help them develop and get better. Yeah, I'd say if they were still relying on you, like, two seasons from now, I would start to be concerned about it, but I you know, half season or one season sort of, you know, uh, guiding hand is, is absolutely not a problem. If it becomes that you're, you know, doing their job for them, obviously that's more of an issue, but um, I don't think that's been the case at all. Yeah. Uh, one thing, uh, can't get back to Shark's question. Mm. Well, first of all, I'm kind of sad I'm not in the experienced ADs group. Then I think you, you're you're knocking on the door if you're not there already. Um, well, yeah, I guess, anyways. But you kind of want to have, like you said, veteran head coaches slash ADs who know the rules and know how to keep players engaged. Because I know that when I was first starting out, I did not really know how to do that. Uh, for me in the EFL, it was a little bit different because I had the experience as a, a development league or college league head coach. So I wasn't completely thrown into the fire to, for the most part, but um, it is important to have people around who have kind of been doing this for a while and know what to expect and can help the new ADs. Like, I remember the first question, or like, I forgot who said it, but someone needed help sending their strats in or adding new players, stuff like that. So I think it is important to keep some veterans around, and even though they might take all the players or some of the players, they're eventually going to 
get filled up. Like I know like a lot of people like to get salty about or like say stacks or tech getting all the players. Well the reason for that is because they're they have like really good pitches. And I've actually beaten out both stacks and tactical. Yeah, multiple times. Yeah, at least multiple times. As like a I'm as a newish AD. So it, once you find your general strategy and like for Athens, we were an expansion team, so I relied heavily on the you can build something here that you can't really build with the other teams. Like with Death Valley, they're already established and you're not really going to make a dent on their history for the most part. I'm going to strongly disagree with that, but I understand, well, yeah, I understand why not. you would make that point. <laughs> well, like compared to us, we're like, we have no records, no history. Why don't you just come over here and start it? And that's... I like, mean... Go ahead. Well, that's part. That's uh, part of the reason why I had that big recruiting class my first and second seasons, and that's why I won the championship back in season twenty. Is because of those players that I got. So it's not impossible to beat these players or these ads, no matter how light intimidating they may seem. That's a really nice, for the most part. Um, for the record, guys, it was 26 minutes from starting the podcast to the first time Lefty mentioned winning the championship. Oh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just teasing. <laughs> um, yeah, the the only rebuttal I'll make if any recruits are listening, we also started a brand new record book when we moved to a 16 game season. So no, it's not no, like we have 20 seconds, 20, no. 20 seasons of records you're competing with. But yeah, I, I take your point very valid that it's a, it's every AD finds their niche, and I think the. The big thing, especially if ADs struggle more in the recruiting department, um, the easiest way to fix that is just to ensure that we have a steady stream of new recruits. Because as long as we have enough recruits, the teams are filling up. It kind of the problem kind of naturally solves itself. Yeah, because eventually Death Valley and then Biscayne Bay are going to run out of positions. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it becomes more of an issue if you know you have like a couple years with like, really few few people joining. Um, and then the competition over those who do, do join becomes super fierce. But um, luckily, that hasn't been a really major issue uh, in, in quite some time. No, and I, I don't think uh, will be. It's not a major issue here at all. Um, at least not to the degree which it is in the uh, development or the SBA where the, we have 22 teams. Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> 20, like competing with at least 10 head coaches who are on the recruiting level of like a stacks or a tactical hanger is like unreal. And there are a lot of good head coaches who struggle with recruiting over there. Yeah, no, I like, I low key kind of hope our league never gets that big. <laughs> yeah. I feel, so, I feel like 12 to 16 teams per league is kind of the sweet spot. Yeah. I think that if we end up expanding, we should, we should keep ECFA at 12. And just expand the EFL because if you have more people on each ECFA team, it gets more people to like meet each other and like create like just meet people in general and just keeps it like close. That's yeah, well, we, we've seen, uh, especially in the uh, with uh, positions that uh, only one what that the team only needs one of each, like QB or kicker that uh, there are currently like no kicker or QB spots available in the EFL. So people who created that aren't really going to have 
much hope for the next eight seasons or so. And so that's uh, speaking, of, that was more of a reply to Sid's point about uh, there being more teams in the EFL than like say the EFCA, because EFCA, you have like QBs going out every two to four seasons-ish, more yeah. so than, so I think if we did expand, we should expand the EFL. And that's why we also have the, um, there's the dual threat archetype, yeah. like like what Dan used for Sunfire. So when he comes to the draft, Dan can decide if New York needs a QB or needs a receiver and can convert to either. So that's sort of one way to alleviate the quarterback glut a little bit is to let some of them become receivers in the big leagues. But yeah, it is, uh, I, I don't think we're, we're definitely nowhere near expansion. I want to make that very clear. But I think if we were to expand, I would, um, I would take your guys' points very well. Yeah, you don't really want to expand like only four seasons after however long it was. Yeah, because it's only been like two to three seasons, right? Uh, yeah, season twenty. Season twenty. Oh yeah, yeah. The season. Like, never mind. What is it? Season eighteen. I think it was season eighteen. No, we expanded ECFA season nineteen, and then nineteen. ECFA right. Season twenty. Right. 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 Yes. Thank you. And um, then, just to like finish off like Shark's question. I just want to say, like, if you, like, Tack or, like, Shark or something like that, if you find someone on your team that's interested to be AD, it's in the best interest of, like, just in general. If you just, like, train them, take them as your assistant AD, and then let them success as you so that way they can keep it on while giving more people opportunities. I know yeah. it's hard for, like, I, it's like, you could move on to GM, but, like, if it's, like, someone like Shark, Shark, obviously he can't because he's the simmer. But I mean, if Shark ever wanted to, we would make it work. Like we, we can move simmers. That's not not a major concern. We need to simmer so he can get his like tenth EFL championship. <laughs> Why stop yeah. it? He needs to I mean, I've never played for for uh, Miami, so I kind of hope they stop soon. But we just doesn't seem to ever want my players. So yeah. Yep. <laughs> He's got me my only EFL champion. Yeah, no, dude, dude's a wizard. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with help guys from like I'm just looking right now of the twelve GMs. Um, uh, two, three. Uh, sorry, of the twelve GMs right now, seven of them have spent time in Death Valley, which I, I'm in so insanely proud of. Um, so I think it's it's a very good uh, and it, it is a challenge for AD sometimes because often it means you lose players if those if those uh, teams take their players when they uh, when they move on. But um, in the long run, it's definitely for the best. Um, and I yeah. do think we've spent a uh, half an hour on sharks questions now, so we probably <laughs> should move along soon. Okay, I guess we're gonna skip the why do you hate? What I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about that. They they know. Okay. We're going on to decon then. <laughs> are you? Are there any EF, EFL or ECFA teams you think could sneak up on the big names during the playoffs and maybe grab an upset win? That is a great question. I'm just going to quickly bring up the stats here to make sure I don't accidentally pick a team that's like doing really well. Um, well, for the EFCA, it's really easy. It's whoever's playing Manchester. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's really looking like Manchester's going to get third or fourth. So it would they wouldn't be bursting an underdog. 
Yeah, that's true, but yeah. I think um if you're looking for like quote unquote likely upsets, um I mean I only consider I don't consider the three seed beating the two seed to be an upset. I only consider an upset to be the four beating the one. Um yeah, I think and this is not because I know I know Spartan loves bullet his bulletin board material. This is not a dig at him at all. Um, but I do think Athens, Manchester, and Roswell are also tightly packed there. Um, I think in a one-game winner-take-all, any one of them probably has um, at least a decent chance um, at pulling off that upset, assuming Trenton hangs on to the number one seed. Um, in the Legends Conference, I'm a little bit less confident in Lincoln, only because looking if you guys look at their wins and losses so far this season – They've beat up on the bad teams, um, but their results against the three teams they would need to beat. Um, they lost to Hades Creek 38-17. They lost to Death Valley 47-7. And they lost to Biscayne 31-6. So until I see a little more evidence that they can can win those games, um, I'm going to have a hard time picking them as an upset favorite. So I guess my answer to that would be whichever of the heroes teams finishes in fourth kind of by default, not uh, casting aspersions at Trenton at all. Yeah, just in general, just because uh, Trenton has no uncaps, at some point their players will stop developing for the season, and then the teams that have uncaps will just get better. So the, that could be yeah, enough well, at the end. The Heroes Conference is, uh, their teams are rebuilding, so there are not a lot of teams with uncaps in the Heroes Conference. And that's one reason why they're getting beat up on by the Legends Conference this season. Yeah. It's because the Heroes Conference is fairly young this season, especially with teams like Roswell and Athens. Athens actually has, like, it, Athens is currently playing nine freshmen on defense. So we're obviously going to be a very young team. Yeah. Um, and I would note, I, I wouldn't say Trenton will stop developing because, they yes, they don't have any young cappers, but they do have a lot of players. And so those players will likely continue improving at least through the end of this season. So I, I don't think they're going to necessarily plateau, but I do think the lack of, of very, very high-end talent renders them a little bit more vulnerable to an upset um, than in, I think any of the big three in the Legends are from, from Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah, For the well, that's one reason why the Heroes Conference, in my opinion, is the better one. It's because it's more parody. Or, sorry, it's more equal. Like in the Legends Conference, you know your big three is going to be one of, or it's going to be Biscayne Bay, Hades Creek, and Death Valley. Whereas in the Heroes Conference, it could be almost any team could make the top four. There's really no preset teams that are going to be, oh, this team is going to finish top two or top three or something like that. Which I guess yeah. you could say is due to the Heroes Conference mediocrity but we're not going to talk about that we're instead going to talk about how everyone is equally mediocre i I wouldn't i wouldn't call it mediocrity i would call it just more more competitive to be honest yeah it's more competitive um yeah i mean you just look at the you look at the point differential of the fourth like the fourth place team in heroes right now has a plus 24 point differential and the fourth place team in legends has a minus 53. so yeah it's a more competitive division only teams like Sacramento are getting beat up on in the Heroes Conference. Yeah. Um, in the EFL on the other side... I'm going to um, say Memphis for the EFL just because we're probably going to get the fourth seed or the third seed this season. 
but we have more than enough talent to actually be the first team. Took the words out of I mean, all three of us are on Memphis, so there's obviously gonna be a little bit of bias, but I, I definitely yeah. agree. Yeah. I also think, um, and again, this is nothing against Renault whatsoever. I think he's done a phenomenal this competitive this quickly. Um, but I do think Minnesota is a little bit more vulnerable than San Antonio is to an upset. If assuming those two teams stay in the uh, the number one seeds, I do think San Antonio could get New Orleans. Like as much as we say he's like bad at whatever or strats or like anything, New Orleans still has a really good roster. And if they're, I'm pretty sure they're fourth in the league right now. They could pull easily get an upset win against Kansas. Yeah, I mean, and I mean the EFL is a competitive. In the league in general, that I think I'm, I'm even hesitant to call if it's a situation where the standings are as they are and New Orleans is beating San Antonio in the playoffs. I don't know if I would even call that an upset necessarily. Like, I don't think they're that far apart in talent level. Um, but for, for the purposes of the question, um, I definitely think both at the top, the top four teams in both conference, I think any of those eight teams could win the championship and it wouldn't be super surprising to me. Um, if you know yeah. Los Angeles or Toronto wins, then I'm a little more surprised. But yeah, but it, well, if Nola actually beats San Antonio in the playoffs for once, I think it will be pandemonium. Oh, I as, as someone who had a player on New Orleans for all of one season, several seasons ago, they're always kind of my like third team that I cheer for a little bit, just because success. Your first uh, team is uh, Memphis, right, over Seattle. I am not going to comment one way or the other. <laughs> I, uh, I love no, I love no, Memphis and Seattle equally. No offense, but I do like my offensive player a bit better. My tax offensive player is un. Well, especially with how bad, um, well, with the San Francisco being a, an expansion team and myself being an expansion team AD, I've. Uh, I emphasize or sympathize. Sympathize, yeah. Fuck me. I can't. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, I, um, I have more of a sympathy for. Uh, hell, I can't talk. Anyways, I I understand more. I uh, kind of vibe with the team more. It's nothing against Memphis, but they were already good when I got there. That's so fair. it's like my player isn't as important. Well, I mean, obviously now he's like leading the team in tackles or whatever. One, um, one, one fun standing thing I'd like to point out before we before we move on, I think is really interesting is how San Francisco and New Orleans are both five and three, but how they've gone about it entirely differently. San Francisco has scored 176 points and allowed 159, and New Orleans has scored 278 and allowed 203. So they're both five and three, but New Orleans has allowed more points than San Francisco has scored. We we don't do defense in the West. <laughs> I, I find that so interesting that they have the same record, but their their games are so different. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Okay, let's see. Next up, we got award races. Anything? What what awards are going to be the closest? I think it's uh, Offensive freshman of the year in the ECFA is looking pretty spicy. For because you have uh, Pat 
quarterback recreate. And you have the, the person down in Lincoln who shall not be named. <laughs> uh, there's also a few decent receivers, I think, too, have a shot. Yeah. Who's, who's down in Lincoln? You mean Zamir? I said he shall not be named, Sid. <laughs> Dylan is, don't wait, I was confused. Though. Dylan is there like five receivers. I don't Anyway, um, you also have uh, Athens running back, Cam Amin, who's also, I think, in the running. But people sure. are going to say yeah, that he's, his stats are inflated because Athens likes to win or something. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my cop-out answer on this is always uh, linebacker because there's always so many different stats and such oh, a weird yeah. mix of different stat lines to take into account um, that linebacker is always a mess for awards. Uh, so that's an easy answer. Um, I think kicker is always very competitive and and weirdly compared to real life, all one often one of the most like passionate and fought over awards. Um, people seem to care more about kicker of the year than almost any other position award, um, which I find funny. Um, the offensive ones are usually pretty straightforward because you're really only looking at two stats or one stat even sometimes for like running back and receiver. Um, so I, I think linebacker will be my uh, my pick for uh, for closest award in both um, both EFL and ECFA and the freshman awards as well for sure. Yeah, for in my brief time here as AD, um, the linebacker award threats are always the most active. Yeah, they're a mess. <laughs> and I'm not going to talk about the most recent one. <laughs> I mean, you can, you look at you got receivers. You've got really really with for receivers. You look at yards. Downs and maybe a little bit in catches, but really it's yards and touchdowns. With linebackers, you have tackles, tackles for loss, fumbles forced, passes defensed, interceptions, sacks, defensive touchdowns, blocks, missed tackles. Like it's, um, it's a, it's, it's, it's a whole different world. Because they kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah, and yeah. everyone values, you know, some people value tackles really highly. Some people don't think you should consider, you know, passing uh, pass defenses because they're not uh, in the secondary. So. It's not just there's a lot of different stats, it's that everyone values them and weighs them differently. Yeah. Um, so I always enjoy those debates. All right. Well, next up, well, the next one from Decon, we all do kind of touch. It was about like retiring from AD. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can, I can address the, the retiring aspect a little more. Um, I don't know if this will freak people out at all. I, I probably think about retiring one to two times a season. Um, the reason I haven't is uh, a couple reasons. One is I definitely, I don't enjoy ADing as much as I did 10 seasons ago. Like it definitely does to, um, become a bit of a grind after a while, but I still, I still say I enjoy it like 80% of the time. Um, another reason is I think, I, I don't know if I could see someone else ADing my team, if that makes sense. Like I've just been here for so long and I feel like it's so connected to me as a brand it'd be so weird for me to watch someone else take over and not try to like micromanage them or tell them what they were doing wrong or what I would do differently. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. I think I would just, I think I would get a lot less uh, out of the league if I just had players. Um, like if I was just following my players, I think I would, I wouldn't be anywhere near as engaged or interested. Not that I don't enjoy that aspect, but it's, you know, it's half the league for me. Like my ADing is half and my players are half. And if I just take half away, I have half the interest. Yeah, if I'm being honest, like seventy-five percent of my fun from this league is from GMing or AD. Like my players, like 
it's mostly because they do suck, but like in general, just <laughs> GMing like it, it, and ADing, it's just like fun just managing the team and like just talking and like meeting new people. Yeah, you feel like more of a connection to your own team that you run because you're more of the face of the team than say like your player is. Because I've rarely, if ever, watched an EFL sim live, but I watch almost every ECFA sim that I can. Yeah, I I, I watch uh, when I can and enjoy both, but I I think I think the the face of the team thing is a little bit more true in the ECFA when like players on your team are going to be there for a maximum of four seasons. Um, I do think in the EFL sometimes you'll see players become a little bit more face of the team just because they could be there for you know, seven, yeah. eight, nine, ten seasons. Like, uh, I think Logan Crawford in New York is a good example of that. Um, I think oh, arguably um, Vince Carswell and Taktesh of Warschlaghammer in, uh, in Memphis kind of have that sort of, they're sort of linked to the team in that way. Um, but yeah, by, by and large, the GM and the AD are the most prominent boosters for their uh, respective teams. Um, but yeah, for interns retiring... It'll happen at some point, but I don't expect it anytime soon. Yeah, what you said about it. Would be, it now that I think about it, seeing someone else run Death Valley would be re- really weird. Yeah, I think if I was gonna retire, my my opportunity would have been during the rebrand, like yeah. that when it, when it when it kind of made sense, like go out with Texas and build a new. Uh, a new uh, culture, and I think once I didn't do that, I kind of re- realized I was signing in for for the long haul again. And again, I, I don't want to like undersell. Like I still do. I definitely find it a little bit more stressful sometimes, and I think that's just because our team has historically been quite successful. And so I start to feel the since like season, say season seventeen or eighteen, I really start to feel that burden of expectations a little more. Um, and I'd be lying if I said that didn't sap a little bit of the fun for me sometimes because it's every time I see a game of the week that we're in, my first thought is almost always just dread. Because I'm like, oh god, this means it was like yeah. either a loss or like a nail-biter the whole way through. Because we're never getting picked for games of the weeks, or not nor, not usually getting picked for games of the weeks where we're upsetting teams. Um, but yeah, I understand that perfectly. Like, being an AD when no one expects you to win and you're winning is fun. But when yeah. people expect you to win... Like, I just got tagged in the EC, uh, EFL Discord because a lot of people bet on my team and lost. So that was, yes. <laughs> that was very fun to see, and it's very heartening. Yeah, and you, you get the target on your back, right? Like, oh, God, I, I, I like the guy, but I dread with every fiber of my being the first time that Lincoln beats Death Valley because Caboose is going to lose his freaking mind. And I, I get it, and I would probably do the same in his shoes. But it's gonna suck for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, in eight seasons, when that happens, it'll be terrible. Eight. Wow. That's, 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 a, that's a pretty, pretty short prediction, man. <laughs> I don't think it'd be at least fifteen. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, seeing a game of the week now, or especially the season that after I won the championship, seeing a game of the week was painful. Yeah, because people like knew that I could be successful, and seeing me being game of the week against a team that's on paper not as good as mine is. Scary. Oh yeah, that sinking feeling. Like when we, uh, it was the game one last season um, where we played Grand Rapids, and 
we had just one of those like games where everything that could go wrong does go wrong and like Sunfire threw like four interceptions and we had like 150 yards of penalty and we lost like 28-21 and I remember when I saw oh like game of the week Death Valley versus Grand Rapids I almost just logged out of the site for the whole day at that moment because I was like no even if we win I'm not going to be because it means we won a close game against a team that in that season we should be absolutely destroying yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach is just the worst. I uh, felt that uh, this season with uh, when we were game of the week against Lincoln because everyone made a fucking big fuss about it because Lincoln's like seven and forty-one in their last couple of seasons. Yeah, and no, they're season, not bad this season. They're not bad this season, but obviously people gave me a fucking the perception. Losing. Yeah. yeah. And they, they won a nail-biter against you, too, in that one, if I remember right. Yeah, my bot kicker missed two kicks, either which <sighs> one would have won the game. So That's... I've had a bot kicker. Can we talk about kickers for a second? This is not reverse, but last season, poor, poor Dion Wyatt, our kicker, active user, active updater, upsided the right stats. Like, he should have been an adequate kicker. He kicked 46% field goals last season. Like I've seen third like inactive bots have better results than that. It blew me away. I've never seen a player in any position in the history of this league get that absurdly unlucky. It was insane. That's really like because he was fairly high in TBE, right? He was Yeah, he, he was like he was a freshman, but he he was I think by the start of the season he was already over like 60, 65 in both kicking attributes. Um, like my my um, my freshman season as a kicker, I was like sixty five of sixty five, and I won kicker of the year over. Yeah. Oh no, you know what? I was wrong. He wasn't. Kick- Sorry, he didn't kick forty six percent. He kicked forty one percent. Oof. He yeah, made that's... ten of twenty four field goals that season, including four of seven from thirty to thirty nine yards, and one of two from less than twenty yards. Could you blame that on the offense for not getting within the 20-yard line enough? Well, no, like a 20-yard field goal means they're on three-yard line or closer. Um, or sorry, the five-yard line or closer because you yes. have to like add the yardage, right? Yeah. So like yeah, anything yeah. anything shorter than 40 yards should be a gimme. And he went like five for 10. Rip. So uh, yeah, like anyway, that was appropriate apropos of nothing, but it just it blew me away. I've never seen a player get that insanely unlucky and i felt so bad for poor chef pockets because he was beating himself up and i was like this is this is not your fault this is just random Kick, chance just screwing kicking, you over kicking or kickers are like the most reliant on luck yeah he was position. a great punter that season <laughs> yeah well well it, ultimately every position is reliant on sim luck but kickers <laughs> more so for sure. Because I remember my kicker did decently well his first season-ish. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't want to uh, sidetrack that too much. We should move on to, to Reno's questions here. I just wanted to mention that. Yes. All right. Let's see. All of you have experience as ADs. How do you keep users happy on a quality team in terms of touches and overall impact? Um, so I guess I'll, I'll start. For me, actually, it's uh, that for me that starts in day one. In that I, when I recruit, and I acknowledge that that generally I'm I'm lucky to be in a position to do this, but 
I try to target people and I have certain questions kind of designed to suss this out. Um, but I try to target users that are sort of more focused on team success um, than individual accolades. Um, there are certain, and I will never name names, but there are certain when they created or when I got their answers to my questions, I just didn't, didn't get a feeling they weren't, weren't a, like a bad person. Just I didn't feel like they would quite fit our culture. Um, and so I didn't follow up on those recruitments. And I think that's may, meant that I've had far fewer issues um, than you might otherwise expect in terms of keeping them happy because, you know, I've got so many guys that are like, you know, I want to see wins. If that means, you know, I get two catches for 10 yards, so be it. Um, in terms of keeping them happy in general, I think one thing is being fairly transparent with stats. Um, so like in, there's a couple games where um, Sunfire, uh, Oil Man Dance quarterback, didn't throw very much. Um, and in those games, I kind of sent them where I was like, hey, just so you know, like these were the the strats I submitted. This was the passing percentage I submitted. Like in the theory, it should have led to more chances for you. Um, and so, you know, they know that, you know, you're not trying to, you're not trying to screw them over and you're doing your best for them, but there's, there's only so much control we have over the plays, the sim calls. Um, and I think, and then also, you know, when it comes down to it, winning helps. I think people are a lot more happy to be getting limited stats on a winning team than they are on a losing team. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, Speaking from Athens, the season we, the season after we went three and thirteen, and then we went twelve and four. A lot of players, especially our wide receivers, didn't get a lot of touches, but no one really complained because we were we went twelve and four, and we the winning almost like winning solves everything. I think you kind of touched on that earlier. Like if I'm catching two, if I get only like three catches for like minimal yards, but we won. I'm not really going to care, but if I got one catch or 10 yards in a loss, I'm going to be a little bit more mad because sure. there's always that what if, like what if my player had gotten more touches? Yeah. And I saw that on uh, Athens uh, this season, in this following seasons after that 12-4 and four season where we started to lose a lot more games and certain users got frustrated with their lack of player success. Yeah. I, I should add, sorry, I said I'll, I'll let you answer this. I think I've probably gotten a little bit lucky in that, sorry, I'm just going to mute my mic for a quarter second. There's a siren outside. Okay, sorry about that. Um, I think because I'm a relatively prominent member of the site, and I don't mean this to blow myself up, but like because I'm a member of the bot and like a relatively well-known AD, and and I think in general people like and respect me. Um, I feel like that also means that users are a lot less likely to complain to me that I'm not using them right, because um, I think I've sort of it's not credibility necessarily, but I think they're almost like oh this. I'm trying to phrase this in a way that doesn't make me sound like I'm just bragging. Um, I think they're maybe a little more intimidated or a little bit less willing to complain about my ADing um, in general. So I think I might be a little bit lucky there versus where I get the benefit. That's what I should say. I think in a lot of cases, I get the benefit of the doubt in a way that a first-year AD might not. Yes, thank you. That's what I was trying to say. All right. Let's see. Well... I don't know. I well, if I just have to answer the question, then like, I just get whoever. Like, I've never actually had a problem with people not wanting to 
have wanting more touches because they're just like whoever I've recruited that stayed active is just cool in general. I've never had a problem with like the team being full and having to like put like a wide an active wide receiver at like backup so they only get like one catchy game. Everyone's basically gotten the stats they wanted and we've somewhat gotten the wins that we wanted and we're just a happy family. <laughs> yeah. And you can also turn into a positive, like, hey, you want more stats? Update better. <laughs> like, you want some catches? Get your speed up to 70. All right, next up, thoughts on the power back. Uh, I think you skipped one. I did, let's see. Okay. Oh, number two. Okay, what advice would you have for users playing conflicted between cookie-cutter meta builds and more unorthodox builds? Uh, yeah, so this is a really good question. I think there's a degree in which going unorthodox actively hurts your team. Um, I don't see it very often. The example I'll always use for that is uh, Punk Hippie, who uh, was around before most of your guys' time, I think, but he built a cornerback where he never updated above 70 speed. Um, and I think unorthodox going to that degree is probably not a great thing because like at that point, you're just, you're actively um, not helping your team. That being said, I think um, players in general, especially maybe first gens feel a little bit too much pressure to go fully cookie cutter. Um, and I'm lucky that I can use my own player as an example. Um is the first receiver in ECFA history, or sorry, ECFA, first receiver in EFL history, as far as I've been able to tell, to go over 80 strength. Um, and he's actually at 100 strength. Um, his build is 93 speed, 82 agility, 95 hands, and 100 strength, which is incredibly unorthodox uh, as far as receivers go. And he's been... I think very, very successful. Um, he regularly leads the league or is close to the top in yards per catch. Um, if it wasn't for the dastardly Patrick Kelly extending his career for so long, he'd probably have a couple wide receiver of the year awards. Um, and so I think he's a really good example of, you know, if you have a plan and you're, and you kind of stick with it and go against the grain a little bit, you can be really successful. Like I bought max weight with him. He's 240 pounds. Um, and I sort of built that strength build from day one. So what I'd say to you guys is it's a lot easier to do with your recreate once you've already had a successful player. Um, but like talk to your ADs, talk to your GMs, and, and don't be afraid to to try something a little off the beaten path for sure. That being said, you probably should still be, you know, updating speed to at least 60 or 70 before most other things. Yeah, I mean unorthodox builds, like in general looking at Memphis, I just wanna like say I'm not like this is I'm not like trying to like take a shot at anyone, but like well, actually, it's not even close, but still, either way, like, Jets, he moved his SS, uh, on my request, he moved it to, like, he lowered the weight so he could play CB, and mm -hmm. because he has 70 intelligence, 70 hands, he hasn't been doing, like, as well as, like, a regular CB, just in general, just because mm -hmm. he doesn't have, like, the main CB stats. But the one thing with I will say with, with secondary players, is it's hard to tell sometimes how they're doing because oftentimes I find good CBs don't tend to rack up a lot of stats because they just cover their players so well that quarterbacks don't throw to them. 
Um, like I'll to use an example of again, Punky B's player with seven, the cornerback with 70 speed. He actually picked up a fair few uh, interceptions and passes defensed, but the teams he was on also regularly had terrible pass defenses because, you know, sure the quarterback throw if the quarterback throws at you 15 times, you might get three passes defense, but you might also give up 200 yards. Um, so I think just because a cornerback isn't putting up a ton of PDs and interceptions doesn't necessarily mean they're doing a bad job. Um, y- your point is valid. I just wanted to make make that point that for that position specifically, it's really hard to tell sometimes. Yeah. Okay, this is like the last question I can like do, and then you guys can. But like, I have to like go after this. No worries. We can speed it up a little bit too, for sure. I've been I've been going I've been going on for a few of the questions, so you can go in as long as you want. People have been <laughs> looking forward for the thing. Okay. Let's go over back. Sorry, is that the, the power back question? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's another of the builds, like, how your wide receiver is. Like, not many people use it. I don't think power back has 100 speed. No, it's power like back's captain. It's a workhorse back is what he's talking about, I think. Oh, okay. Which is captain 90 speed. Um... I, I think the workhorse back is a little bit tougher to pull off than the red zone threat receiver only because on plays when a receiver doesn't do a good job, they just don't get thrown the ball and the play can still be very successful for the offense on a play where the running back doesn't do a good job. If that's a running play that will show up in his stats every single time you don't see in a receiver stats, how many times he was back through the ball elsewhere but you see every you know one yard two yard run in a running back stats and those have an impact on the game um that being said i i definitely think that you know 93 speed um whatever the agility cap is plus equipment 100 strength workhorse running back definitely could work um but i think you might not see great results until you get to that 93 and to that 100. I think you would really need to max those out um, to see good results. But then I think you'd probably see very consistently good results. Um, but that's just a hunch on my part. I don't have any uh, sim evidence to, to back that up. All right. Well, you guys can... Oh. All right. Good night, guys. All right. Night, Sid. Thanks, Sid. No, thank you. Okay, so I guess we can talk about the last question from Reno. What ECFA or ECFA team or teams has surprised you the most this season in a good or bad way? What about EFL teams? Uh, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, I was about to ask if you wanted to go first. <laughs> um, ECFA easy. Uh, I did not expect Trenton to be seven and two at this point. Um, I think that's you know no massive credit to Spartan. Um, a little bit of luck, of course, is always, is always involved in that, but I think he's done a great job in getting his young guys to update quickly and um, strategizing well and, and taking advantage of, of the luck where it was available. Um, he's probably the benefit, too, of the conference being a little bit weaker, but, I mean, he's also, you know, he beat us. He beat uh, – oh, actually, he lost to Lincoln in Hades Creek. Okay, <laughs> sorry, that point doesn't stand. Um, but, no, in general, I think uh, I did not expect Trenton to be pacing that conference this season. Um, and so I think I'm 
yeah, quite, quite impressed with what they've put together. Um, Anchorage, I'm a little bit surprised in the opposite direction. I do think they're better uh, than a two and seven team. Um, I don't think they're probably worse than Lincoln, but I'd see them more as you know. A f- so uh, hopefully we'll see them bounce back um, a little bit soon. What about you, Lefty? Uh, I'm, I was a bit like you said. I was a bit surprised by Anchorage because I did not think that they were going to be like a at the record that they are now. I'm not too surprised by Trenton because I expected them to be first in the conference from the get-go. Um, trying to think of any other teams. Uh, we can go to EFL too afterwards. I just wanted to cover ECFA first. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, team, the Heroes Conference teams have not popped off like some of them like I expected to. Part of that is due to it being a competitive division, but it got teams like. Uh, Manchester and Wilds, well, who are kind of struggling at this point. Well, struggle in a relative sense, but they are extending their lead. That kind of mu- mushy middle of that conference. Yeah, the, the mushy middle, especially with uh, people predicting uh, Waswell and Manchester to be first or second places. So it was uh, interesting to see how Trenton kind of got off to his hard start. And I'm not going to like really say it, but as the AD of Athens, I did not expect us to have a positive record at this point in time. <laughs> well, it's not like we're a bad team. It's just that with 12 freshmen, I thought we were going to struggle a bit. And we have had some struggle games, but for the most part, we've played nicely together as a team. For sure. Um, in terms of EFL for me, I think it's an, for me at least an easy answer. Uh, Minnesota, yeah, um, sure. like for on the third season out of an expansion that didn't give the teams a ton of talent, um, to be six and two and leading the Eastern Conference against teams like Miami and New York and Memphis. Um, yeah. can't, can't say enough about the job Reno has done there. Yeah, especially when he was on the podcast, I believe two weeks ago, when he said that he did not expect to be any higher than like third maybe second so if he keeps it up he'll prove himself wrong yeah and then i mean you look at their record and like it's not like they're you know getting lucky every game like they had their last one was 27 24 but before that all of their wins were by at least two scores like they were winning games comfortably yeah i think they've blown out several teams yeah it's not like they're getting lucky on a bunch of coin flips yeah um, so, yeah, I can't say enough about them. Um, I think in terms of disappointing surprises, there aren't really too many. I think you'd like to see New Orleans be a little bit better, but like five and three is complain about. So I, I'd be hesitant to call that a disappointment, really. Yeah. Um, okay. I think uh, unless you had any other, we can keep going. Yep. Let's go on to Kyle's question. Yes. Among the first next generation QBs, uh, who will have the best career? Uh, so he did tell me that by jelly he meant Kelly. Um, okay. Um, well, Bobby is going to go uh, inactive after his uncapped season, so that you can take him off the list. He's gotten a bit busy. Yeah, it's it's a bit sad, but I understand it perfectly. He's got he's a GM in the SBA, so he's a little mm-hmm. bit busy. And then feel like he had the time to put into his player. Yeah. And then for the quarterback is in a position like, uh, you know, like 
linebacker or something where you can get your player, you can uncap your player and send to the draft, and he can still be a useful piece, um, even if he goes inactive. Yeah, with a QB, you kind of need to be really good. You need to be active. Um, I mean, I think the easy answer is Kelly, just because he's going to have massive. Um, yeah. and, and Pat Pat is also an incredibly like reliable earner, so it's it's a boring answer and an easy answer, but um, it's assuming answer. that Sunfire doesn't count as next generation, I think it has to be Kelly. Yeah. Um, that being said, I don't want to, in, in case the other players that don't have carryover are listening to this, I don't want to be too discouraging. The thing to remember when you're going up against guys with carryover is because the attribute scale increases so much at higher levels, the difference in TP starts to matter a lot less. And what I mean by that is the difference in terms of attributes between, say, a player with 200 TP and a player with 400 is much, much, much bigger than the difference between someone with 800 and someone with 1,000. Um, so yeah, the update scales start to get really deep, yeah. especially you know, in the 90s. Yeah, so, so carryover is great for getting your player off to a quick start uh, in the pros, but I do find that first-generation players pretty much even the playing field for the most part by, like, I would say season three in the pros at the latest. Because, um, wait, well, yeah, once yeah. you're paying 24 TP to update a single attribute, a uh, 100 TP difference, all of a sudden that's the difference between, you know, having 92 agility or 96 agility. It's not nothing, but it's not... You know, catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. We've seen a lot of good first gen players. Uh, one that I can think of is Oscar, it's running back. But at yeah. the same time, running back is a, a is a position where you can get away with not having as much TP. Yeah, I, I will. I will say, as someone who built one of the more well known running backs, it is definitely the simplest uh, position to build. You really only care about like 3.5 attributes. Um, like it's speed and then agility and strength. And then you can do a little bit of hands. You can do a little bit of intelligence. If you really want to do a little bit of pass blocking, but you don't have to. Yeah. Actually, seeing a little bit more pass blocking would be cool. I want to see if we can maybe switch up the builds to involve. I kept. I kept a tugboat at 60 pass block for most of his career. Um, it was 50 in the last couple of years once regression hit. Um, and he did generally tend to have um, higher pancake and lower sack allowed numbers than, than other running backs. So I think it does help for sure. But it helps in a way that, you know, doesn't help you win awards. Yeah. I would, I would want to see more of that, to be honest. Yeah. But so I mean, it's only, to, to get it to 60 is only a 35 TP investment. Like, that's not. Yeah, that's not a whole lot. I actually might do that with my own running back once I get him started off. He's still kind of in the rebuilding process. Yeah, so yeah, if you take anything else away from this podcast, update your pass blocking for your running backs. Save your QB's lives. <laughs> the next question, who are the best players in the next draft? People are uncapping next season. Okay, um, next season. I mean, that's tough to say before we know, um, before we can see, A, who is uncapping, and B, you know, how their their first, their offseason kind of goes. Off the top of my head, actually, if you'll buy me a second, and sorry to all the listeners, this podcast has gone on uh, quite a while, but we're coming to the end of most of the questions, I think. 
I'm just opening up EFLO and searching for uh, players at 199, uh, figuring that'll give me a decent snapshot of yeah. um, who is who may may uncap next year. Uh, let's see, sort by TPE. Oh, there's a lot. Okay. Um, uh, so you got symmetrics players, um, Xavier and Luke Holloway, running back and linebacker. Um, knowing Sim, I think those guys, if he uncaps them next season, um, will be probably like top five picks. Um, cause yeah. Sim is a super reliable user with massive carryover. Uh, Flex as well has Xander Boots. Um, if he uncaps next year, I think he'll also be, uh, be big. Um, Cowboy in America, his receiver, uh, I could see him being, him being in demand as well. Um, and I think Midnight actually Midnight's players uh, on uh, on uh, Lincoln, Toby and Mike Parson running back in safety. Those could be, those could be some. Um, I think could 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 really break out because um, I think Midnight yeah. is fairly active. Yeah, he's a he's a SB, uh, a person, so you know he's at least getting affiliate. Yeah, um, so I guess my picks would be Symmetrics players, Flex's players, and Midnight's players. If uh, and Cowboy in America's players, assuming they uncap. Yeah, and, uh, because because Kyle asked the question, of course, Cunningham and Eliason too. Huh. <laughs> um, I would also not put it past some of Trenton's capped players who are uncapping next season, or whenever they uncap to be top players. I think yeah, for sure. Good. I don't think they actually have too many there at one ninety nine right now. Once I they get. Yeah, I think Spartan was talking about how their big season is going to be uh, in two, two seasons. seasons. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Award predictions for lesser awards. Fullback of the year, tight end of the year, etc. So, this, I mean, this is a tough one. I, I haven't looked really, dug into the stats too deep because we're only halfway through the season. Um, tight end, looking at ECFA, I'll just kind of very – I did look at this yesterday out of curiosity. Um, I think you probably are like a three horse race at tight end. Um, you got lemon at, uh, Biscayne Bay, Bernard at death Valley and Jennings at Anchorage. Um, they're all over 200 yards, all multiple touchdowns. Um, I think whichever of the three of them has the best, uh, best capper to the season. is probably the favorite for that. Uh, lemon's been the best receiver so far. Uh, Bernard's been the best blocker. Um, so probably one of those two. Uh, in terms of fullback, it's I think Cunningham might have the edge. He's a tight end this fullback this full this season because um, he has over a hundred yards receiving, and I don't think any other fullback is. Uh, yeah, yeah no other fullback has more than fifty yards. Um, yeah, most fullbacks are fillers right now. Yeah. I think Spartan has a filler who's running back if he didn't change it. Uh, Hades, I will say Hades Creek actually has a fullback who's had some decent rushing success. Decent rushing success, uh, seventy-two yards, five and a half yards a carry, two touchdowns. So that could definitely be a contender too. Um, and then just to look at the blocking very quickly. Um, yeah, Hades both. I, I think Cunningham or uh, oh my god, words <laughs> Cunningham or um. The Hades Creek player Jackson are probably my favorite for fullback in the uh, ECFA. Uh, in the EFL, 
very quickly. Definitely be more competitive. Um, that's still ECFA, sorry. I think you got Kip Silver, uh, Himalaya Griffintown, uh, Comoran Bumberpuff, Antonio Gonzalez. I think those are all very strong candidates. I think Silver is probably the favorite. He's got like an 80-yard lead on the next highest tight end right now. Um, and if I very quickly look at the blocking, looks like Griffintown is the leader there. So I'm going to say Griffintown or for uh, for tight end in the EFL, and I'm not going to look at fullback in the EFL right now. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have any uh, names you think I missed? Um, no, I think you covered it. All right. Um, oh, I think we missed. Uh, he asked, "Who's our favorite?" I think we can both answer this. Who's your favorite team to face and why? Uh, um, at least favorite team to face. Um, I think always playing uh, Manchester for me was always an interesting game, especially most uh, more recent seasons with uh, their having an active team who like to talk a lot. Uh, if you go to my SIG on the site, you can see one where I took screenshots. But anyways, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my least favorite team to face is honestly a team that's doing very badly. Really? Why is that? Because if we, if I see, especially for a game that we get against a team who's doing badly, I'm always expecting, like, oh no, could we, like, lose? To this uh, bad team, whereas like if it's if if it's a loss to a better team, I'm not too mad about it. But if it's a loss to say like our loss to Grand Rapids, where we gave them their first win, yeah, fair enough. That's obviously uh, a lot harder of a loss to take than say getting blown out by this King Bay. That's fair. Um... I'd say for me, actually, it's it's a, a bit of a cop maybe, but my favorite and least favorite teams to face are are honestly kind of one and the same. Um, I love facing uh, Hades Creek and Biscayne Bay because I know it's always going to be, you know, an excellent game. And I hate facing Hades Creek and Biscayne Bay because I know it's a game. Um, you know, you never really relax. You can never be like, oh, cool, we're just going to breeze to a, you know, 28-14 win here and we can take the day off and, and, and pad some stats. Um, I definitely back in the NCAA days, I love rivalry with Oregon um, with kind of just the bigger league and then and them falling off a little bit. That's kind of lost its luster a little while, but um, facing, facing Oregon slash Anchorage is always a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Um, in, in conference games are always fun, but also not fun at all at the same time. Yeah. Cause you know, it's going to be a good game and that's the bad and good part of it. Exactly. Uh, da, 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 da. I think, yeah, so Kyle has one more here. <laughs> Did Sid actually leave Manchester as Norton a Twitter or something? Uh, well, now that he's gone, we can talk about this. <laughs> nah, Norton's too, uh, he's too active on Discord. I don't think Sid has the energy to maintain two accounts. And, and there's no way that Sid is like a, knows enough about Michigan. That's a good point. <laughs> but I can get Turner to check the IP addresses if you're really worried, Kyle. Yeah, but I don't even know if Sid knows where 
Michiganians, to be honest. <laughs> Fair. Um, his bonus question, all I will say about that show is trailer for it. And I, I, like, I swear to God, I literally said out loud with no one else in the room. That looks like the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Um, but I mean, I guess people, audiences eat it up between, uh, between, sorry, I should read the question for people listening. I guess the question is, have you seen that new show? Can I see your voice? Um, between that and the masked singer, I do not understand what boomers like to watch on TV, but more power to them. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I've started to see those advertisements everywhere. Oh, it's just another stupid singing show. It seems like a concept that'd be interesting for like half of one episode. But I can't imagine watching multiple episodes of it. Yeah, for sure. Makes deal or no deal look like, you know, a deep tactical show. Or Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune. Hey, don't diss Jeopardy. Okay, Jeopardy, yeah, (laughs) Jeopardy is fun. Jeopardy is excellent. And Alex Trebek is Canadian. Oh, nice. Yeah. If if you don't know many Canadians, Lefty, one thing you should know about us: if any celebrity is famous in Canada, we will remind Americans of that at every single opportunity. Ah, uh, yes. We take pride in what we can. It's like if someone makes it big in America, they become sun here. Yeah, I notice you don't do that with Justin Bieber, though. Well, yeah, like they have to be like good people. Ah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, do we have uh, – we had some last uh, – Jorg, I think, asked some questions just tonight yeah. if we scroll down. Yeah, which teams are most likely in each conference to make the conference finals? So what are the projected standings for each conference, EFL and EFCA – or ECFA? Um, uh, how do you go first? Finals, uh, conference finals for Heroes Conference, which is probably going to be Trenton for sure, in my opinion. And I want to say Athens because I'm the AD, but I would, <laughs> I would not. It would not put it. I would not be surprised if I saw a Manchester or a, Ros- a Roswell in the conference ch- finals. Heroes conference is going to be interesting because uh, there are three teams that are all good, and then you have one team that's decent. Oh, that legends, you mean? Legends, fuck yeah. Okay, what did I say? Heroes again. So heroes, yeah. Uh, anyways, Legends Conference is interesting because you have the Pirates, Death Valley, and Hades Creek. And it's proven to be a pretty big, pretty decent competition between the three of them. So there's like no clear division leader. Uh, yeah, for me, when I'm trying to suss out, you know, how good a team really is when you have such a small sample, things I look at are um, how close were their losses, especially if they only have a couple, and uh, point differential. Like, do they beat up on the bad team? So for that reason, I think in the Heroes Conference, I do agree with Trenton. Um, and I actually think I would favor Athens or Roswell over Manchester um, because yeah, Manchester actually has a negative point, actually quite negative point differential. They're at minus 35, um, whereas both Roswell and Athens are positive. Looking at the games that Roswell and Athens have lost, I'm actually going to go with an upset pick here. And I, I'm sorry, Lefty. I love Trenton and Roswell. Um, well, yeah, our loss to the Grillers definitely hurts us because that was not a good loss and it wasn't even a close loss either. So we can't take solace in that fact. 
that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the heroes, or sorry, the legends side, you got me saying it. Um, so Death Valley has the best point differential. We're at plus 190. Um, or actually, sorry, Biscayne by deck. Oh, no, yeah, we're better. We're at plus 190. Biscayne's roughly plus 160. Hades Creek is about 110, 115. Um, and then looking at losses, um, Hades Creek has one blowout loss, one one loss. Biscayne's one loss was to us, and that was a bit of a blowout. And our two losses were one score against Hades and that bizarre game against Trenton that really tilted me where we uh, just had an inexplicably terrible day. Um, like full credit to Spartan on that day, of course. And then there is also Lincoln, but no offense to Goose. I'm kind of looking at the big three here. I'm going to say Biscayne and Death Valley. Um, I think, yeah, I think the Pirates and the Rangers have the inside shot for... Uh, yeah, I can see the... Yeah. Hades Creek also, I think they only have one or possibly no uncappers, or very few. Um, so I think their ceiling for this season, uh, specifically, their ceiling is a little bit lower. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I guess I'll go ahead and eliminate my prediction now. I think you're going to see in the East, in the Heroes, you're going to see Trenton beat Roswell. In the Legends, you're going to see Death Valley beat Biscayne Bay. And in the Finals, you're going to see Death Valley get revenge by a comfortable, assertive win over Trenton. Spicy. Yeah, I, can see, I could definitely see that happening. And uh, yeah, I'm fine because Spartan can't screenshot a voice clip. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing you, buddy. Yeah, but at the same time, if, if you have him going to the here, if you have him going to the championship, is, can he really be that mad about it? Though? This is. I'd uh, be surprised, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, right. And I think the last bit of this question was projected standings. So I'm looking at the standings right now. I'm going to say Heroes. I'm going to say Trenton, Roswell, Athens, Manchester, Savage City, Sacramento. Uh, Legends. Hmm. That top three, how do you order it going into the playoffs? It's, all, it's tough to also because the Rangers beat the Pirates, the Pirates beat the Phalanx, and the Phalanx beat the Rangers. So there's not like a clear one of the Um I think your bottom three are pretty much set. I think Lincoln, Anchorage, Grand Rapids, I don't think you're going to see that order shift. Um, yeah, although Grand Rapids did win today, so maybe. Um, I'm going to say, and I could be totally wrong on this because we do currently hold but I'm going to say the Heat Legends is going to finish Biscayne, Death Valley, Hades. Yeah, that's about what I was going to say as well. But honestly, I could see any order of those top three and not be surprised. All right. Did we have any other questions or anything you wanted to talk about, Left? Uh, no, I can't think of any specific questions that I had. I don't think we had any more on the thread either. Yeah, I think we pretty much covered anything. I think we're looking at right about a 90 minutes right now, it looks like, give or take. Yeah, about 90-ish minutes. Good. That's about, I didn't really, I wanted to be able to go to bed by like time, so we're pace. Um, I want to give a very quick shout-out to our uh, season seasonal charity campaign, uh, Rangers slash Longhorns Give Back. I wanted to particularly call out, sorry, I should have had this window open, but um, uh, for, sorry, for those who don't know, every season uh, we pick a charity based on a random draw um, from one of the players on my team. Uh, that player picks the charity. 
we come up with a scoring system based on uh, the results for the season. Like, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, 50 cents per touchdown or two cents per catch, things like that. Um, and then we make the donations. I usually make them in batches near uh, tax time in Canada because <laughs> I can claim it on my taxes. Um, but I wanted to particularly shout out in the past, we've had a really awesome thing where uh, users have actually matched the donations. Um, and this is not me soliciting people to do that in the future, but I've never really had the opportunity um, to shout those people out before. Um, so special shout outs to Shark Strong, who matched our donations in season nine to the ALS Societies of Canada and Alberta. Uh, season 12 to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and yeah, those two. Um, Nikonax, who matched our Season 11 donation to the Diabetes Research Institute, and uh, Snusu, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who matched our uh, Season 17 donation to Teen Trees. Um, yeah, so this season we are earning for the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, which is picked by Mongoose87. And our scoring system is one cent per two tackles slash rushing attempts slash tax catches. And I have had mistakes with the scoring system before. So I usually just kind of like I have one year where I would have only added up to like four dollars. So I just everything. Um, but at this point, I think we're over over the course of the campaign. We're well over one hundred dollars in donations. So, um, yeah, just uh, really happy with that initiative and wanted to to shout out some of the folks who have uh, who have really supported that. Yeah. And I think, uh, unless you have anything else, I think we're good to go here. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for tuning into this podcast. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening. And thank you, Tech, for coming on. And uh, see you all next, uh, the next, for the next one. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Sorry if my voice started to give out near the end here. I'm sorry. But, uh, it was a lot of fun. Great to be here. Yep. All right. See ya.